This week on the podcast, a little nonprofit news for the week of August 2nd. Welcome to August, Nick. Thanks, George. Well, it's just us, so folks will just have to enjoy what they can from our summary of the news. So why don't you uh, kick it off? Sure, I can get us started. So our first story comes from a spot highlighted by CBS News um, in which the ASPCA is facing criticism over their programming expense ratio. So the ASPCA, known as one of the largest and most publicly visible animal welfare nonprofits in the US, um, is facing criticism over how it spends its donations, particularly what percentage of its fundraising revenue goes actually towards animal welfare programs. According to the report, only about 47% of all donations go towards programs that directly help animals, while the rest goes to things like public education, fundraising, and management, which includes those uh, really dramatic and uh, depressing <laughs> commercial TV spots. Um, and of course, the idea is to help animals in need, but uh, criticisms mount about how much of that is actively effectively going to animal welfare programs themselves. And the report says that of the two um, billion raised since 2000, I'm sorry, over the two million raised since 2008, the ASPCA gave only 7% of the total to uh, local SPCA affiliated local groups, um, while, while a much larger percentage goes to national fundraising campaigns. So you have a situation in which the larger umbrella brand is raking in a ton of revenue and the local affiliated organizations which are entirely separate are seeing next to nothing um yeah this is not a great model i think that this this criticism is 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 warranted here i'd love to see kind of reforms to this model or at least more transparent um you know fundraising practices here yeah this is tough and you were right it's i mean according to what we wrote up here two billion uh since 2008 it's a massive organization and here's here's the two voices in my head. One is that I, I don't love it when outsiders are casting stones on the narrative of nonprofit overhead. Anyone who wants to get the sort of the narrative deeper on that and the myth of nonprofit overhead, which mind you can be a smoke fire situation, right? Where if there's very little going to actual programs, uh, that there is, you know, potentially wrongdoing. But taking a step back, go do a quick search uh, if you're not familiar for Dan Pelota about his TED talk on on overhead and just saying like, hey, you know, guess what? If they were not spending this on public education and fundraising, they would be dealing with not two billion but two million. They would be dealing with a fraction of what they could raise because they're not bringing it to the national stage. And who is it? And, you know, incumbent upon to, you know, cast judgment on that tactic and strategy when you talk about public awareness in the eye of animal welfare in this country. Now, the other narrative here that you kind of pointed to is the, uh, the local affiliate group. And there is a tension and it's not just with the ASPCA, it's with every organization that I have happened to bump into. I won't name them, but quite a number of them where have a tension exists between the national and the local work. And they're, they're uniquely separate. They're like little franchises in some cases. And, you know, it is often the case where the local is struggling, you know, in, in quotes, struggling to uh, raise funds in their community to serve that, that population. And they're getting money 
some money from the national, but they're expected to create a little, you know, nonprofit engine locally where, where they are and where they serve relying on local donations. And so it's, you know, not that uncommon for a small amount of money, frankly, to trickle from national down and sometimes none at all. And in other cases, sometimes it goes back up. <laughs> so this is a nuanced relationship. And I, you know, I don't, um, I, I'm not ready to grab the pitchfork on this one. And I, and I hope uh, other organizations are, you know, paying attention, especially at the national and local and, and making sure that narrative is strong so that you can all stand together. Because I think, you know, there's, there's only net losers when you're, uh, you know, when you're fighting and especially in fighting. I'm not saying that this is the case, but that's what I'm hearing here. Yeah, George, I think you bring up a lot of good points, um, namely that nonprofit management is complicated. So um, something to keep an eye on. <laughs> and in summary, <laughs> profit management, it's, it's hard. Our next story, George, shows that a new report came out that says that less than half of U.S. households donate to charity, representing a decline in the percentage of households that donate. Um, this report comes from the Indiana University's Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. And for the first time, according to their data, less than half of U.S. households gave money to charitable causes. Uh, while the report's data is only as recent as 2018, it does show a downward trend in terms of percentage of Americans who are donating. Um, so we have to take this with a grain of salt, knowing that this data comes from 2018, but coupled with uh, 2020 surges in giving, um, that these two kind of competing narratives about increased net donations versus decrease in number of people who donating might show a trend, which we've seen other stories that potentially highlight that um, philanthropic giving or charitable giving is consolidating a little bit. Um, yeah, kind of an interesting trend. I want to see more more recent data um, in, in their future reports, but something to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's hard. You try to triangulate these pieces and you also have to remember that, uh, in fact, you know, 2020 did see an overall increase of 2% in total giving. Now, the number of households is what grabbed my attention on this because that can be a harder number to, to figure out and has to do maybe with the fact that you can have more rich individuals, you know, like the McKenzie Scotts out there writing large checks that overall increase the total amount of giving but that sort of long tail of giving may be shrinking. And so, you know, half of households, you know, um, is, is something to, to consider that's saying like, wow, that's, um, that might be something that, that is dropping due to number of in-person events or the way that nonprofits touch reach communicate their story to a larger audience. So I found this one interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think another uh, piece of the, the puzzle here is that, um, especially with, uh, you know, peer-to-peer -peer fundraising and sites um, that don't necessarily track donations in, in the same way as, as traditional giving platforms. Um, uh, you know, maybe younger people are, are donating in kind of uh, more, more new uh, ways, new technologies that aren't necessarily being tracked. Um, so maybe that's part of the trend as well. But yeah, I agree. Something we'll uh, keep an eye on. And into the summary, what do we have? 
Sure. So in the summary, our first story is the headline, if you want to work for our nonprofit, you need to get vaccinated. Um, now, this story is about an organization um, that uh, has decided that they are going to mandate vaccinations for their employees. So the Los Angeles LGBT Center, which employs about 800 people, decided um, through lots of deliberation that they were going to mandate vaccinations, ultimately concluding that it was for the benefit of their community. And George, we're recording this on Wednesday, August 4th. Um, and just yesterday, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio announced the first of its kind um, mandate in New York City that um, folks who want to go to restaurants, bars, et cetera, will have to show proof of vaccination. I think this is a trend we're going to see more of. Um, some companies are, are considering these kind of requirements. Um, it's an interesting, it's a tricky and interesting uh, trend. And I think we're going to see lots of movement in this space over the next um, couple months as we see a surge in the Delta variant, but still vaccines that are holding up really well. Yeah. I mean, the side of this I see is that if you are an organization working with an at-risk vulnerable population and your mandate is to keep that population safe, which I should hope it should be, I think this is a no-brainer. It's a mandatory element of keeping that population safe. So it's good to see. On the other side of it, I don't think the ACLU is about to be announcing any mandates anytime soon. On top of that being uh, the, you know, the CDC, for whatever reason, has still only provisioned, I think it's emergency status uh, for, you know, emergency status approval for this instead of saying this is entirely safe. I'm not sure why. It's not my area of expertise, but it would be that asterisk that's saying, hey, wait a minute, if it's not fully approved, how can you fully mandate? I agree. We'll keep an eye on that. Hopefully the, the FDA moves on that. Um, yeah, FDA, yeah. The, the bureaucracy is dragging us down. <laughs> um, our next story is that an owner has donated a 28 million casino in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi uh, to a nonprofit, the Boys and Girls Club there. So um, this is a huge space. I think it's 20 plus acres, uh, big facility, um, and it's all going to a nonprofit there. This is just a, a cool story and, uh, you know, for, for for an org that could really use the space and uh, someone who's who's giving it back. Um, I know that this owner was um, around uh, the Boys and Girls Club when um, they were growing up and saw the good that the organization was doing and, and wanted to give back. Yeah, the land is valued at about $28 million. And that was the quote that Chris Ferreira gave, is that uh, I did it truly just to help the Boys and Girls Club and had... Um, you know, had been around it in his younger years and he saw what they could do firsthand. So I put this in here because you want to keep in mind that obviously as a nonprofit, if you are working with uh, the younger generation, you're not doing it for the money, clearly. However, there is something to be said for how you keep in touch and tell the stories to your alumni. And I'm using that word specifically because if you were a higher education college, you would absolutely have an entire alumni fundraising program. You have to look with the lens of a decade, decades 
out instead of saying, hey, we had this one-time relationship with this young person who you may have changed the course of their life for, and then we're never going to keep in touch again. Consider how you keep in touch, deliver value, and remind uh, those alumni of their experience with your organization. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to get you a casino, but it's, uh, it's better than relying on luck alone, pun intended. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you in invest, do good job, invest in your programs, and maintain relationships. Our next story is that catalytic converters are being stolen from a Columbus nonprofit's meal delivery vans, um, and other vehicles are seeing vandalism and theft within them. Um, so this Central Ohio nonprofit says that they've spent thousands of dollars after these have stolen parts from their vehicles. Uh, the organization's called Life Care Alliance, um, and this is just sad. <laughs> organizations getting car parts stolen and maybe reflects the economics of the the car rental part industry now i don't know but so yeah. i did some digging on this because i have seen these stories pop up again and again Nonprofit loses catalytic converters for their vans their trucks their buses their cars their primary sources of supporting a population especially in uh more remote areas and here's what is actually going on in 2020 there was an average of about 1200 catalytic converter thefts a month you may be asking what is that thing that thing is kind of by where the muffler is and it contains precious metals like platinum and palladium and what it does is remove a lot of the pollution that gets uh, uh, exhausted out of uh, the car so there used to be about 1200 of these converter thefts a month in the us in 2020 which is an increase of 280 from the previous year uh, it's a massive amount of these things being stolen, and they're on the rise still this year uh, for the number of, of thefts because they can be stolen quickly and flipped for like two fifty up to a thousand dollars. And unfortunately, you know, nonprofits seem to uh, come up as a target for this. And you know, not too long ago, I think back in May, there was a, a group, uh, a Federal Heights, Colorado area, um, twenty converters were stolen. And uh, unfortunately, you know, cost the nonprofit there dealing with um, uh, dealing with like twenty grand in, in, in vehicle fixes. So, you know, if you're uh, if you're a nonprofit, you know, protect your vehicles clearly uh, because these things are easy to steal and easy to flip. Absolutely. Um George, that was the most impressive background uh, research I think I've ever heard on the podcast. Thanks for <laughs> chiming in there. Try to step up my game because I needed to. I need to explain why is this guy talking about catalytic converters on a nonprofit podcast. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. That's more than I ever could have uh, known about that. Um, our, our last story, this is a short one, just that the nonprofit Times has released its Power and Influence Top 50. Um, so these are highlights of executives um, that are, nonprofit executives, I should say, um, that are moving and shaking the philanthropy and nonprofit world. So don't have to dive into this too much, but um, influential nonetheless. Yeah, friend of the pod and has been on before, Asha Curran, uh, co-founder and CEO of Giving Tuesday. I saw she made the list up there toward the top. Obviously not in any manner of ranked order. However, uh, I like that the Nonprofit Times is doing this. It's wonderful to just sort of feature and celebrate some of the great leaders in the nonprofit sector. 
also, I think this is a clever idea, a clever idea for any organization working with thought leaders in a specific niche field, create your top 50, create your top 20, celebrate people, put it out there. Maybe it gets picked up on such influential podcasts like this one, but you can create news out of the air by celebrating people. And I, I just like it. So um, a tip of the hat to the nonprofit times on this one. Absolutely. Hey, Nick, what feel good stories? What have we, what have we found? Sure, George. I got, honestly, I think one of my favorites. And this is about a man um, who is honoring 9-11 crews, so flight crews specifically, um, with a Boston to New York drink cart push. Now, the man, his name is Paul Veneto, who is 62 and spent 30 years as a flight attendant for five different airlines and um, almost by, by sheer luck, um, was not on one of those flights um, that uh, crashed on that day, but he knew a lot of the flight crews on them. So to honor them, he is pushing a airline drink cart from Boston to the World Trade Center. This is, I think it's a 200 some 220 mile walk. Um, and he's been training for a long time, and he's raising money for um, organizations that benefit 9-11 uh, crew members' families, as well as organizations that deal with um, helping folks with addiction, uh, including a nonprofit um, called Power Forward 25. And um, Paul really uh, struggled with addiction. Um, after the the attacks at, at the World Trade Center, and it took him a long time to get get help and and get clean, and he's done so, and he's paying it forward, um, both in a in a tribute to his own triumph, um, those that we lost on on 9/11, and I I just love everything about this story. It's it's heroic. It's a good find, Nick. Great story. All right, that's the nonprofit news feed and in other more local news for us, uh, we may start adding uh, the option for people to advertise on the show. So don't be surprised if advertisements beyond just the whole whale university, which by the way is awesome. Great place for nonprofits to learn digital tactics, insert ad. <laughs> Uh, but we might be pulling on folks that uh, that sponsor some of this news and help grow even more. So if this is helpful to you, reach out, let us know, share the podcast, share the nonprofitnewsfeed.com free newsletter, and thank you. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 